Bible reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, commencing at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptised, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, Thank you, Andrew. Uh, If you're... uh... New or newish, if you've been away for a little while, we have just started a new series uh, in this book of Acts. And uh, this is the second week we have been in Acts chapter 2. This is the second out of three weeks. And so next Sunday at church camp, we'll have a look at the end of this chapter, uh, those verses 42 to 47. Um, if you, on your way in, you may have received some outlines. There's a more of a kid-friendly one with some activities on it to do with the passage. There's also this one, which is a bit briefer, but I did really want to draw your attention to the couple of questions at the bottom. I'm not quite sure how many of us are using these, but these are, the first one is meant to be like a helpful discussion starter with each other as we have coffee this morning, uh, morning tea after the service. So over the last couple of weeks, if you've been doing these questions, 
I've been asking, all these questions have been asking us to think about people in our lives that we can share the good news of Jesus with. And this morning's coffee question is actually asking, who have we identified? So if you haven't been thinking about that for the last two weeks, you've got about 45 minutes now before hopefully somebody asks you that question and um, you are ready to give an answer. So think about uh, that as we go through this morning. Hey, let's pray together and then we'll dive in. There's a lot here and we'll do our best to cover it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you speak. Thank you that through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you speak clearly and convincingly. You speak to our minds. You speak to our hearts. You speak to our imagination. And Look, we ask that you would do that this morning and that through that, you would transform us, your church, your people, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you uh, this morning whether or not you think, you believe, you've experienced that people can actually change. I wonder, I wonder if you believe that. We, we have some sayings about that, don't we? Uh, like a, uh, a leopard never changes his spots, or a zebra never changes its stripes. We have those sayings because we have a hesitation, a doubtfulness about whether people can actually change. I wonder if you've, wonder if you've made that assumption about people before. Oh, they're acting that way. They never change. I wonder if you've made that statement about somebody else before. Oh, here we go again. Uh, they never change. I wonder if you've actually even thought that about yourself. Oh, here I go again. I never change. I wonder if you believe whether people can actually change or be changed with regard to their eternity. Whether people can actually be converted, saved, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's said by many Christian commentators that Australian is a country of hard soil. What we mean by, what we mean by that is it's a place where it's hard to see converts. It's hard to see new people come to faith. See churches grow and develop new ministries. Even churches that are growing will often make the comment, there's not many conversions. People come from other churches, but not many new people are converted. Maybe our own experience of evangelism and sharing our faith with others is, no, it doesn't happen. We've tried it. We've been active in it. But people don't change. It's kind of hard then, isn't it, to reconcile what we read in Acts chapter 2 with our own experiences. Because I don't know if you noticed that number at the end of that section that Andrew read for us, but on that one day, 3,000 souls, 3,000 people were changed. They crossed from death to life. 
They came to submit and know the Lord Jesus Christ and be added to his people. That is incredible, isn't it? And today we want to think about how that happened, how that came about. Now, when we started the series a few weeks ago, we started looking at the first 11 verses of chapter 1, which we saw that sets up our whole understanding for the book of Acts. We saw that it's a story, the acts of, the continuing acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he continued to do and say to seek and save lost people by the power of the Holy Spirit through the witness of the church. Now, last, last Sunday, we saw this incredible, powerful coming, descending, a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And today, we want to have a look at how the Holy Spirit powerfully continues the work of Jesus that results in these 3,000 people being converted. And I want to highlight two things that the Holy Spirit does here. There is spirit empowered proclaiming and there's spirit enabled response spirit empowered proclaiming and that's where i'm going to spend most of our time this morning and then spirit enabled response so let's start then with the spirit empowered proclaiming and we're looking at the sermon that peter preaches here He started it back in verse 14. We're going to pick it up in verse 22 and it goes all the way to the end of verse 36. Now, if you are trained as a preacher, you should have been taught that all sermons are to have one main message. Preachers should have one main take-home big idea to their sermons. Now, let's ask the question, does Peter preach a good sermon? Does he have, can we discern one main message to his preaching? You bet we can. He has one main idea, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has four points. He's not particularly reformed. He probably should have three. But anyway, well, being an apostle, we might let him get away with it. He he has four points. Points, but all of them, all of them have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have a look. We're going to have a look at his outline. We're going to go discover his sermon outline. Point one, Jesus, God did mighty works and acts in your midst. It's there in verse 22. These works were God working through him, Peter says. And these works were God attesting to him, God validating Jesus, who he is and what he came to do. That's point one to his sermon. Point two is there in verse 23. This Jesus was put to death. Now, notice that he's got like two causes of that death. Firstly, He was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. His death was not an accident. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't plan B. It wasn't God kind of changing course. This was the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that Jesus Christ be put to death. But also, he says, 
you did it. He's talking to his Jewish audience, the people of Israel there. He says, you handed him over. Now, we might think, hang on, how does that work? Isn't this a contradiction? Which one is it really? Well, Peter, as he preaches, doesn't try to explain it away. It's both. Both the plan of God, both the responsibility of those who handed over, each in a way that doesn't diminish the other. Point three to his sermon. Starts in verse 24 and goes all the way down to verse 32. Not all sermon points have to be the same length. It's a good lesson uh, here, like today's. Uh, We'll probably turn out that way. What's his point? Point three. God raised him from the dead. It starts with it in verse 24. God raised him up, and he finishes with that in verse 32. This Jesus God raised up. Now, the bulk of this point, Peter explains that this too was the plan of God. Notice he quotes, quotes from Psalm 16. He's quoting David, who said, You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And his point is this. David could not have been speaking by himself. David was speaking prophetically. Though we know that because he says, you know where David's grave is, his bones are there, cannot be talking about himself, was speaking about his eternal son who would sit on the throne. This too was the plan of God foretold in the Old Testament. And he says, we are witnesses. We saw the resurrected Jesus. Point four to his sermon. This goes from verse 33 to verse 35. He is exalted at the right hand of God. God not only raised him up, God exalted him to his right hand. There and there he has poured out his Holy Spirit on the church. Now, in doing this, Peter comes full circle with his sermon. Because remember where he started? They were questioning, how come we are hearing the wonders of God in our own language? How come all of us from different parts of the world are hearing this? He said, it's the Holy Spirit. Now he comes full circle. Jesus, raised, exalted, has poured out his spirit on the church. Four points. And now he has a conclusion. Verse 36. Let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Still the same message, still the same theme. Jesus, God has made Lord, King, Ruler, God and Christ. Rescuer, Deliverer. The one who brings the kingdom of God. And with appointed application. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now, we're going to have a look at the response to that in a little while. But what is this sermon? What is this evangelistic message all about? It's about Jesus Christ, isn't it? His life is is miracles. His death, 
his resurrection, his reigning, and his ruling. And with pointed application, you're responsible for his death. Now remember the theme of Acts. All that Jesus continues to do and teach by the power of the Holy Spirit through the witness of the church. What is the church? What are we witnesses of? What is the central message we have to proclaim? Is it about how we, you people, can live a better life? Is it about all the evils and the ills of the society around about us? Is it about how people could love each other more and more? Is it about how we can work together to make this world a better place? Well, some of these things, they might be important and they might be part of it. But none of them is central. Because central is that we proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his rising and his reigning. This is front and center of our message, of our evangelism, of our sharing, of every ministry that we do. We proclaim Christ. You see, this is how people are changed. And not just changed a little bit. And not just have a part of their personality changed or their behavior changed. This is how God changes people from death to life. From eternal damnation to eternal life in Christ. Right at the heart of all our evangelistic endeavors. Whether that be a Barclay Hall barbecue tonight, a sermon on a Sunday, talking to a, a person at our workplace, talking to our kids, is to present Jesus Christ. Miracles, death, rising, reigning. If it doesn't contain that, it's not the ongoing work of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through the church. If it doesn't contain that, people are not going to come to true faith in the Lord Jesus. So how then do you and I proclaim, how do we present Christ? Now, one of the ways to read Acts chapter 2 is to say, well, we need another event like this one. Hey, you know what? It's Moomba weekend up in Melbourne. What if we put up a tent in the middle of Moomba and we played loud rushing wind sounds like they had on the day of Pentecost that drew a large crowd? And what if we stood up and in the different languages we have here, all talk about Jesus. I counted, we've probably got about eight to ten languages, not including Kiwi, which some of us uh, speak as well. We could, we could speak maybe like eight, ten languages, and then we find someone named Peter. Does anybody call Peter here? Uh, and they could stand up and preach a sermon. We could kind of recreate this whole thing. 
Well, of course, that's not what we're going to do. This is a unique event. This is Pentecost, the day that God promised and poured out his Holy Spirit. And we can't recreate that. But there is much for us to learn. I want to think about Peter here for a moment. And I want to think about Peter in terms of three hats that he wears as he proclaims Christ that day. He's an apostle, he's a preacher, and he's a disciple. I want to kind of think about each of them in turn. Firstly, he stands up that day as an apostle, a sent one, one that had been appointed by Jesus Christ to go out with the message of the gospel, those apostles whom God used to lay the foundation for the church throughout history. The foundation was laid. He has a special, unique role in laying that foundation. And what's more, he and the others, as witnesses of Christ, they, empowered by the Holy Spirit, write the words that we now have as the New Testament witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks uniquely as an apostle. Now, one of the things to say is, well, why don't we find an apostle today? Well, we don't have apostles anymore. They laid the foundation of the church. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. But we do have their witness, their testimony, their Holy Spirit-inspired writings. How do we proclaim Christ today? We take people to that powerful word. We take people to the Bible. Right at the core of our proclaiming has got to be God's word. Now, in many ways, I think that, that a lot of us would have to admit that the Bible is probably one of the most underutilized evangelistic tools that there is. Wouldn't you agree? We kind of think, well, the Bible's really hard to understand. Let me tell you in my own words. Or the Bible's got lots of going to raise some questions, and I don't know how to answer those questions. But we believe that this is the word of God, that he has spoken, which is powerful and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, as it says in Timothy, that God uses it to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, one of the ways that you and I can proclaim Christ is to actually open up God's word with people. Some of us are doing six steps to talking about Jesus at the moment in our growth group. Some of our interns did it last year. Some of us are doing life on the front lines or fruitfulness on the front lines. And all of them have this component to it. One of the best evangelistic questions that you and I can ask somebody is simply this. 
Would you be willing to sit down and read the Bible with me? Would you be willing to read the Bible with me? Just once. Just, just on one occasion. And we'll, see, and we'll see where it goes. A little later on in the year, we're going to, um, we're going to make available a little resource uh, that's being used by, by different organizations and churches uh, called the Word One-to-One. Uh, it's really a, just a little tool that helps one-to-one Bible reading with another person goes through the Gospel of John uh, in the New Testament. And uh, you don't have to wait until this come, we present this. Uh, I do have a few copies available. But imagine that. Imagine a church that was ready to ask the question of people, will you read the Bible with me? All right, that's the first hat. That's uh, an apostle. The second hat, uh, he stands up as a preacher, as a preacher. Now, uh, if you go through the book of Acts, as we're doing, you will notice that there are a number of different sermons are recorded throughout the book. I think uh, 20% of Acts is taken up with recordings of sermons that were preached. The first five of them are by Peter. Uh, most of the rest of them are by Paul, and there's also one by Stephen in there as well. Um, most of them are evangelistic, but not all of them. Now, why does Luke put so many sermons in this book? Why is it that we have sermons Every Sunday? And why do we record them and put them on the internet for other people to listen to? Well, every Christian can share. We believe that there is something important and unique and powerful about God's word being preached. And that's got nothing to do with the preacher. They are ordinary, everyday, struggle like the rest of us kind of people. Believe me, I know one um, kind of well. But it's because we believe that God has ordained or he's put in place preaching as one of the ways in which his word goes out to the hearts and lives of hearers of his people, and those who are to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the key ways that God uses to bring people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's why it's so central to what we do as a church. That's why pastors devote so much time during their week to preparing. That's why pastors don't sleep particularly well on Saturday nights. So how can we all proclaim Christ if we're not all given that opportunity to preach. Well, we can invite people to hear God's word preached, explained, expounded. It's amazing incredible that research still shows that if somebody is invited to come to church, by somebody they trust, people are still saying yes to that. It's incredible. Now, we don't often at South Bowen and and other churches are similar. We don't often have friends who come along with us. 
So either we have all these people who've said no, or we've stopped inviting to people to come along. Now I know that church is not the most hip happening uh, place on planet earth. Uh, and I know that there are things that go on that can be awkward and daggy and a little bit embarrassing. But it is also the place where people can hear God's word explained. And God uses that. Maybe not instantly. It's not a case of, I invited them once, didn't work, I'm not going to invite them again. There's some research done recently about, in Australia about new converts, people who have come to faith in Christ for the first time. On average, they heard the gospel 40 times before they put their faith in Christ. This is not a once-off, I'm going to invite them to church, it'll do the job. If it doesn't, I'm moving on to the next person because they're obviously not elect uh, or something like that. It's that ongoing invitation. Would you read the Bible? Would you like to come to church and hear God's word? And those of us who are preachers here, and I can say this is our farm because it's got a higher percentage of preachers than many other churches, probably any other church on planet Earth, actually. But anyway, um, I'm going to say this. Those of us who are preachers, we've got to remember that we proclaim Christ front and center. Our sermons are repetitive because they have one main message. We are preaching Christ. His life, his miracles, his death, his rising, his reigning. Everything else comes from that. Final hat uh, that he wears. He speaks that day as a disciple. He's speaking about what he has come to know as true because it has impacted his own life, the Lord Jesus Christ. All disciples know the work of the Lord Jesus. All disciples know his power and his love and his forgiveness. All disciples can share about what Jesus has done in their lives. Church, are you prepared to do that? Have you thought about what to say when someone asks you the question on a Monday morning, what did you do yesterday? Have we thought about how we turn that into a brief moment to speak about Jesus. When someone asks us the question, why do you go to church? Or why are you a Christian? Or what do Christians believe? Have you thought about a way to answer that that is more than just, uh, 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 but actually thinks about and talks about the Lord Jesus? Have we thought about how to answer some of those tricky questions that get thrown at Christians all the time? Our views on marriage equality, our views on gender, our views on whatever it is at the time, and how we can use that as an opportunity to speak about Jesus. 
Church, do, do we want to see people changed? Do we want to see them come to know the Lord Jesus? God has poured out his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he empowers and he enables us to proclaim Christ. Is there somebody that we can ask that question? Would you like to read the Bible with me? Would you like to come to church with me next Sunday, which is camp, so maybe Sunday after? Are you ready to give an answer when people ask why you believe in Jesus? We will stumble. We will find it hard. We will make mistakes. But we believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who is at work. And he enables and he prompts us and pushes us to proclaim Christ. That's the first part of this. As I said, this is the bulk of it. We're going we're to wrap up with this one. Because spirit-empowered proclaiming it by itself is not enough. There needs to be something else. And that's because the spirit is the one who enables people to respond. Have a look at what happens down at verse 37. Uh, look, look what it says. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They were, they were cut deeply. Now, why is that? Is that because sermon, Peter's sermon was just so wonderful and powerful? Did Peter have just the right words to say that day? Well, he did, but there's something else going on. I want to take you back and ask you to remember something we did at the end of last year from John chapter 16, where Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come. Listen to what he said. He says, and when he comes, this is the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What is happening here when they are cut to the heart? The Holy Spirit is doing exactly what Jesus said he would do. He is convicting people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's the one who brings them to faith in Christ. How does Peter respond? Well, he says to them, they say, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent, he says. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge that you are responsible for the death of Jesus. And turn from it. Repentance is this idea of turning away from something. Turn away from your sin and be baptized, he says. He says, put your faith in Christ. Identify with Christ. That baptism is a sign and a symbol of submission to Jesus Christ and belonging to him. Turn from your sin. Be found in Jesus Christ. He says two things will happen. Firstly, the forgiveness of your sins. This is how you will be right with God. This is how you will stand before him. We're forgiven. 
when you repent and are baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will be in Christ now and forever. Incredibly, 3,000 people who were cut to the heart receive the word, repent and are baptized that day. As we proclaim, this is what we pray for, isn't it? This is what we're asking God to do. Pour out his Holy Spirit. That people would be cut to the heart. They would repent. Believe in Christ. Be forgiven. And receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You and I can't do that. I can't convince anybody. I'll never be able to convince anybody. But God by his Holy Spirit can. And God by the Holy Spirit still does. How do we know that? The fact that you and I are here today is evidence that God is still doing that. You're not a Christian because you grow up in a Christian family. You're not a Christian because you're such a good person. You're a believer because God, by his Holy Spirit, cut you to the heart and led you to repentance and faith and baptism. And God's still doing that work today. He's doing it in the lives of our kids. He's doing it in the lives of family and friends and workmates and neighbours. And maybe, maybe today, he's doing that with you. Maybe today is the day that God, by his Holy Spirit, has enabled Christ to be proclaimed, cut you to the heart, led you to repent, to turn from sin, and put your faith in the Lord Jesus. If that is you today, then I praise God. I encourage you to talk. Talk to somebody that you know, a Christian that you know about that. Let us encourage you and spur you on and welcome you into God's family forever. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you caused uh, that message to be proclaimed to us. Whether it was through our family or our friends or a pastor or a youth leader or a leader on a camp, whatever you use, Lord, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit it was proclaimed with power. And we thank you, Lord God, that you, by your Spirit, cut us to the heart and enable us to see 
our own sinfulness and lead us to repentance and to faith in Christ. And Lord God, we want to see that happen over and over again in our church and in our families and in the people around about us. Lord God, we pray that you would make us diligent, that you would empower us and lead us by the Holy Spirit to be those who are faithful in proclaiming Jesus. In whatever situation you have put us, whatever opportunities we have, Lord God, please give us the courage to take them, to invite people to read the Bible, to invite people to church, to share our own testimony with them. And we pray, Lord God, that you would be gracious and pour out your Holy Spirit so that people might come to repent and believe. We ask this not so we can have a bigger church or conversions on our belt, but we ask this for your glory. We ask this so that people might find life in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.